Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, the podcast where we cook up a delicious blend of cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection topics to serve you a hearty bowl of insights. Whether you like your gumbo spicy with a dash of encryption or prefer a milder flavor with a side of compliance, we've got you covered. So grab a spoon, sit back, and let's dive into the pot of data protection gumbo. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and today we have a fantastic episode lined up for you. Uh, we have Panthers, or Panther Protocols, co-founder and CTO, also chief scientist, Anish Mohammedan, and he has more than 20 years of experience in security and cryptography, including the design and audit of several blockchain protocols. Uh, he also co-founded the UK Digital Currency Association and was a reviewer of the Ethereum Orange Paper. And I'm not even sure what that is, but I'm sure Anish will, will explain what an Orange Paper is. And uh, he also served on multiple advisory boards for leading companies such as Ripple, Hyperloop, and Adjoint. So Anish, welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. Thank you very much. It is a pleasure. And thank you for having me. All right. So let's start with the obvious. What What is, is Panther Protocol all about? And maybe a brief history as to why you and your, your co-founders even considered starting Panther in the first place. I shall admit I'm guilty of having somewhat broader interest. So a few years ago, more than a decade ago, I wrote a paper in philosophy, co-authored a paper in philosophy called The New Secret, kind of describing structures in power of society and the information arbitrage. So I was always concerned about how, you know, how in society the structures and powers are conserved by this information arbitrage. Like between you and me, if you know something that I don't know, then you have power over me. So I normally describe this simple model of like, you know, human society, early days, languages evolved, somebody counts, he or she counts the number of days it takes for the moon to actually go through the full cycle, go to the highest hill, and the day before the dark moon is, like he goes, oh, moon god, okay, uh, don't turn up tomorrow, right? So everybody who actually has seen this now knows that the person has the ability to talk to moon, right? And... Then the next day, moon doesn't appear. Then the day after, they goes, please come back. And the moon appears. There you go. Now you have uh, two events, or actually three events, where you have a correlation of, like, you know, somebody saying something and it's being true. So this really made me rethink how, you know, things happen, especially in finance. And when we actually started looking at DeFi, what we could recognize is this, this kind of information arbitrage that's being there and... In one sense, the privacy actually inverting a lot of the problems. Meaning, what I mean by this is like, in a blockchain world, you don't have a private strategy, right? In a traditional world, you do have a private strategy. And how can you actually have similar construct? So the way I would describe is, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Renaissance Technologies, one of the very well-known hedge funds. Um, not really. Maybe in, you can explain it. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, I can explain in summary. So given in data protection, you might have heard about uh, Cambridge Analytica. Yes, I have. Yeah, okay. So the founders of that, the, the SCL company was by one of the guys who used, who works, he was a CEO, if I'm not mistaken, of Renaissance Technologies. So Simon actually created the fund and then this guy came in and now you know. So okay. their, their strategy is like very um, private. So nobody really knows 
but apparently they have like more than 40% return on investment, right? So they have strategies that is not visible to public, but they are able to do this. Why can't we do this in DeFi? So this is the challenge we talked through. Okay, and, got it, got it. Okay, let's let's take a step back for the for the Gumbo audience, and you you've shared a lot, and I'm not even sure if they understand everything. I, I'm not understanding everything, but maybe break down DeFi. So real quick, okay. what is it? And I, I know it also okay. ties into Web3 some kind of way, right? Yeah. So may, maybe give us that, that yeah. brief okay. uh, overview. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the way I describe DeFi is the following, right? Normally, when you do, uh, you know, buying and selling, there's two parties involved and there's a buyer and a seller. And uh, there's an order book. And when both of them match, that they actually the simplest way to describe DeFi is like if you were to actually have this buyer and a seller on do, do doing transactions in a trustless manner, effectively you would use mechanisms like a, a constant function market making. Okay, so it's a mechanism where you trust the mechanism, you don't need to trust anybody else. As long as the mechanism works, the buyer and the seller will be treated fairly. That is the basis of uh, DeFi in that sense. So you know, if you were to think about Web3, I am really confused with the true use of Web3. <laughs> Having said this, <laughs> I am one of the... Yeah, okay, I'm just yeah. being honest. It's like I have been, I, I've been in uh, the so-called crypt, cryptography for two plus, mm-hmm. uh, 20 plus years. Crypto in like 12 plus years. So I've been an advisor for Ripple from October 2013. So October 17, 2013. Ethereum and whenever it happened. So it's like I've been mm-hmm. doing this for a very long time, man. And I am not a man of marketing okay. in fact. So, you know, if you were to think of Web 1 and Web 2 and Web 3, then somewhere along the line, somebody thought, you know, this is a good marketing exercise. So, you know, to be more precise, other than a marketing definition of Web 3, I haven't seen, like, when you say precise definition, it's like, you know, this is coffee. This is a precise definition of yeah. coffee, right? You will have, definitely, if you look inside it, there'll be caffeine. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know what? I, I I just had a conversation with uh, with the guy yesterday, and uh, he broke down Web three, and he gave the history of Web one, okay. which I think happened back in the nineties, yeah. uh, like when DARPA created the internet, and yeah. it was read yeah. it was read only or something that you could only. It's mostly messaging. It's just messaging, messaging, point to point messaging. right? Yeah. Right, and then Web yeah. two came around, which it was a little yeah. more advanced, and then MySpace. Yeah. And then yeah. Web3 was kind of the more advanced part of what we're experiencing now. Um, and that's all I remember because okay. yeah, <laughs> there's, so much, there's so much out there. <laughs> look, look I, I can give you like a loose sense of what it typically means in terms of trust. Okay, let me explain how this works. So okay. I'll take one, two, and three and I explain it to you in that sense. So when internet was born, we mm-hmm. had the mechanism to do routing. So for that, you need okay. to have a naming mechanism. So there is a trust. Remember, at the start of the conversation, we were talking about trust and hierarchies of trust, right? So imagine you are the person who were on the uh, on the hill shouting out to the moon god. That's the same for DNS servers. You know, your word is the god's word on earth, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. All naming services depend on you. Okay. I hope you understand what I mean, I am. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And now, in a, in a slightly more you know, loose sense, Web2 is more of a success and uh, you know, more ability for users to interact between themselves, right? In a, a version one, is like everybody talks to the thing in the middle. 
you know, version two is it's more or less thing in the middle, but there are people could talk to each other once they discover. So imagine WhatsApp, right? Once you are WhatsApp, you are messaging, and then you know, imagine Twitter. You know, so this is a Web two thing, right? In a Web three thing, what effectively everybody claims it is, and this is where I agree to disagree. So everybody in Web three assumes that you don't need trust. But I'm going to ask an obvious question: If Web three uses IP as an internet protocol. Does it not have to use the trust that's already there in Web two to get Web three? Ah, uh, yeah, I would say so. Yes. So, in that sense, this is why I said it's a bit of a marketing problem for me. Sometimes I really like it's very hard to bootstrap Web three as Web three. Web two to the degree, uh, you know, Web three to the degree. So, if you're using Infura for Ethereum, if you're using Node Runners to run nodes for you. You are trusting AWS. You are trusting Web two infrastructure to run Web three services. So your trust on Web two allows you to run Web three. So the true definition of Web three, in the way that most people think that is truly decentralized, I am not really bought onto it. That's okay. just my cynical okay. meaning. Got it. Got it. And uh, yeah, so we we are primarily at a place today where. You know, social media and also, you know, communicating and on different platforms like X or Twitter, whatever it's being called today. And Elon Musk is, yeah, we won't even, we, we won't talk about Elon Musk. Yeah, I won't no, no, go no, there because no, no. it's just too much yeah. to talk about. It's too frustrating. No. Um, but yeah. uh, let's talk no. about the blockchain and also maybe some of the uh, limitations, if there are limitations with blockchain today, and, and wh where do you see it? Where do you see blockchain going, and, and maybe some of the uses in the future? Okay, so very relevant, very important question. So let's think this through to just to be sure that we all agree on the construct of blockchain. Okay, I use this as my example. This is a wallet, right? Wallet. Okay. Wallet. Mm -hmm. So I have some money. Physical wallet. Physical old, school, old school. Old school physical, physical wallet. wallet. <laughs> Imagine you and I meet. I have some Indian money, okay? So okay. this is a 500 bucks Indian money, but not, you know, it's probably a dollar or something like that. I don't okay. know. Not much, but what I mean to say is like, you know, you and I meet, I give you this. Mm -hmm. Now it's a yeah. better instrument. You can use this in India to buy whatever you want, right? And mm -hmm. in my wallet is less, it's like a 500 bucks less, right? We agree? Mm -hmm. this, is agree. The yeah, this is the traditional mechanism by which it works. And in the digital world, the thing is like copying is zero cost, almost zero cost. So if I copy, okay. right, I have 500 bucks, mm -hmm. not twice, then I have a thousand bucks. Then that's a bit of a problem. So you need to prevent this. Technically, this is called offline double spend, right? And the mechanism to prevent that, in my mind, is called a blockchain. So that's a blockchain. Okay? Okay. The mechanism right. which prevents offline double spend. Very simple. Mm -hmm. The wallet is mm -hmm. a wallet. This time the wallet changes <laughs> changes from a physical one to a virtual one. And everybody has money in an accounting model. Everybody has money. And you can actually see how much money. When I send you some Ethereum, my total Ethereum in this thing decreases and your Ethereum in your wallet increases. And you can publicly see that I have sent it to you, right? And the mechanism of doing that is called a blockchain, right? Now, what you are asking me, what are the key challenges of blockchain? First of the challenge, is as you probably already recognize is privacy right right you now know or i now know how much money you have mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. now know how much money i have and in the traditional world that is not how things work 
Like when I go to the grocery store and buy something, you don't know what I bought. But now <laughs> we have a slight problem here, right? First problem. Second problem is throughput, right? Throughput in the sense like how many transactions can you do per second? Like if you think about like, you know, if you're using a normal phone or a credit card for that matter, right? If you use a card and if you just tap it, you're on a Visa, Visa or MasterCard transaction rate. They do quite a few, 10 to the power of 5, right? 100,000 kind of thing. So uh, 10 to the power of 4, uh, 10,000 to 100,000 kind of transactions per second kind of thing. That is not the transaction throughput that current block is here. So that's good. And number three is like the cost of doing transaction. So I'm sure you remember days in which during the DeFi, you know, summer, gas costs have actually gone really high. Yes, right? they are crazy. So yes, yes. So these are like the very simple, very low-hanging things I would say that would actually be, you know, kind of a limiting factor. But you know, given we are in the space of thinking about things at a high level, then, then there's this question about decentralization. So decentralization is a difficult thing. It's difficult to measure in one sense of speaking. The different people have different ways of looking at it. You can find decentralized protocol which have five nodes, with seven nodes. These are all public ones. You can name them. I'm not naming them. But, you know, that is another problem, right? When, as decentralization increases, the cost of doing consensus increases. So it's just very trivial. Like, imagine you and I were in a room. And the protocol for getting consensus is like we shake hands, right? So you and I shake hands, that's one shake hand, right? So two things have to happen. I or you have to walk towards each other and meet, and we have to shake hands. Okay, that's a distance you need to travel, plus there's the shaking hands. So imagine there are lots of people. So A, the number of shake hands increases exponentially. This is like an N factorial, right? It's like a, you know, imagine it's three, three into two into one, right? So it's 12, right? So like as the number increases, plus the amount of effort you need to walk. So, you know, as decentralization increases, the cost of doing transaction increases, right? So this is a generic problem. So when you think about this, so this is this trilemma we have, you know, decentralization versus security versus cost or throughput, right? So that is that problem. So this is kind of how I would describe blockchain assistance. Okay, and Anish, as you were, were speaking there, I, I thought about, just crypt cryptocurrency overall. And you, we were chatting before the episode started and you asked me a question about, you know, which angle am I coming from? And I told you that, yeah, I, I'm probably going to come from like a cybersecurity um, protection, data protection angle. And as far as cryptocurrency is concerned, why are the bad guys or the bad actors, the ones that are out there deploying ransomware and exfiltrating data, why are they utilizing cryptocurrency in order to make people pay the ransom? Besides, you know, I've, I've heard that it's untraceable, but blockchain is visible, right? Okay, so let me let me walk you through this. So, okay. uh, you know, let, let, let's do some physical comparisons. I think I have a U.S. dollar. I have a U.S. dollar. That's a very good one, right? And uh, it is apparently. Have if you have a euro, that'll be a little better. Oh yeah, yeah, no, 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 <laughs> no. U.S. dollar is a very important, interesting thing. It's a public study there. Okay. So the public study, what they did is they analyzed the U.S. dollar, and what they found is pretty much all the secretions from all holds were there, plus a lot more, right? And a bunch of drugs, right? Well, wow, okay. okay. I'm just being, yes, it's public knowledge. You can Google it and you find it. Mm -hmm. So generally speaking, when you talk to anybody, you go, 
money laundering, the biggest thing that's happening is in crypto. So if you go back, and I'm going to walk you back through pieces, so I'll put everything together at the end, you will find that less than 0.5% of all transactions has anything to do with shady stuff, right? Whatever you call shady. This is from chain analysis. They published a whole study, and you can find it. And the thing is, like, if you compare that with the U.S. dollar, and you're looking at the U.S. dollar, physical U.S. dollar, you will have a very high percentage, like, you know, I can't remember what it was, like 80% or something like that, with all the different things, right? So you're comparing two things, and there's a bias already. It just happens that when most of the transactions happen, do you think when ransoms happen, like, what do they prefer? Would they ask you to have a you know, suitcase full of money, U.S. dollars, to give it to them? Yeah. or? You know, <laughs> yeah, right. Something that's right? invisible yeah. almost, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So this is, this is literally what it is. So, but the thing about uh, you know, blockchain and using cryptocurrencies is like, if you were to do a transaction using BTC or Ethereum or any of the other ones, you are tracked. Remember our conversation, right? My wallet, you know, and I recognize you and then I know everything you did. That is what happens. But there are mechanisms in between that allows you to shield it. So, you know, everything, like, like you know. If like you, a VPN almost? Mm, VPN is a slightly mm. different thing, right? VPN doesn't have pooling. Okay. okay, think of Tor. That's the best one. You know Tor? Tor? Tor, T-O-R. Tor, oh, yeah, yes, okay. yes, yes, so, yes. So, so it's like, a, you know, that, that is a, you know, equivalent kind of mechanism. So you have a bunch of connection coming in, you bunch of them together, and you shoot it through. So the person on the other side, looking at this, it always sees like a whole bunch of transactions, you know, connections going through. Similar thing is what is Shielded pools. Shielded pools are similar to Tor for transactions is shielded pool. That's the way I would describe it. Okay. So what happens is if you could do that, then you get a shielding from the total number of transactions that's going through. And that way they can actually shield some of it. But the largest amount of people who do any kind of this are for one found. Secondly, one of the things that most people don't recognize. If you ever, and this is very funny, and most people don't recognize it, if you ever try to move a very large amount of crypto, you'd be right. instantaneously found out. There is all this bail mm -hmm. alerts, okay? So you get yeah. what I'm saying, right? So mm -hmm. uh, uh, you mm -hmm. know, if you are doing uh, you know, uh, illegal activities and you want to cover your trails and you're, you're doing everything right, then there's a very tiny possibility that you'll get away with it very tiny possibility, but a very high possibility that you'll be found. And you'll be found, you know, you'll be found, not just that you're found, everything you have done will be found as well. Going back, like, you know, okay, let's think this through, right? So what effectively we will see is like, there's a wallet, but you don't know who this wallet belongs to, right? So you start collecting information. And then once you get the name attached to the wallet, then once you know, you can see all the transaction graph. Okay, and if you have multiple wallets, what happens is that with the probability you start attaching right, them, yeah, you yeah. can think of it as a Bayesian process. You, th this one has like a 0.7, and like you know, have a bunch of them, and you have a higher probability, and then you have a then you create a tree, and the tree then shows that it's you. So imagine you start off with like 100 wallets, so and you do randomly. So let's think of it this in the way so that you ever you know, everybody gets a mental model 100 wallets. So to buy groceries, you use one wallet, you buy milk with another wallet. So when, if you look at each of the wallets, what it shows is like one person just buying milk, one person buying grocery, but overall it's your wallet, right? So it, yeah, so you might, you start looking at, you know, various other things on the side channels, you know, side channels, right? Like timing attacks in that sense, right? And then start correlating, right? Okay, 
this person used this IP address. So if you were to use a wallet, say, for example, MetaMask, MetaMask collects a lot of information, including IP address, right? So you would easily, you know, if you are not very careful, you already pointed out something which could be quite useful in lots of instances of VPNs, right? As you recognize, it's all cybersecurity at a meta level, but it's just different pieces in different layers, right? So what happens is like once you get the IP addresses and then you correlate, and you go, oh, all these wallets are in the same place. And if you were to recognize browsers, you know uniquely you can identify machines, right? Then you recognize that, oh, this unique machine is actually the machine that's actually connecting. Now you connected all those pieces together. Now you know who these guys are, right? So there are companies like, you know, Elliptic and Chain Analysis, which do this. So, you know, they track everybody and you can actually do it. Like you can actually ingest a lot of those things. There's an open source version. Uh, you know, the founder is a friend of mine. So there's full disclosure, he's a friend. Breadcrumbs, as in breadcrumbs, one word. And if you go there, it's open source. So you can actually put some address there and you can actually see and track things. So you will find a lot of information. So I, if anybody is stupid enough, I mean, the way I would describe it is the following, right? Like, you know, in some banks, they have all the numbers serialized, so they have the number of all the notes. So if the if ever a bank robber is stupid enough to steal from the bank, they know the, the, the bank, you know, note number. You ever go to a bank with this uh, bank, bank note, they will instantaneously know who you are or track back, right? Mm. The same thing mm. in, a, in yeah. a virtual world is going to happen. Right. You understand what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you you're saying that it's not it's not as easy as it seems in order to get no. away with, you know, fifteen million, thirty million dollars no. being it you is know, trans pretty, transmitted it, on it the is blockchain. In a sense, like think of it this way: like remember the the, the DAO hack in the 2016, right? 2016, there was a mass, and when they were prosecuted, the set of people, the total amount of money they were able to spend was incredibly small. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, do, do do you think that, and then this is, uh, we're running out of time a little bit here, but do, do you think that, that artificial intelligence will actually help these guys get away with it? It's like a knife, right? You can actually use a knife to cook and you can also knife to injure a person. AI could work both ways. The When I was talking about elliptic and chain analysis, that's they're using ML or AI to track people down. Similarly, you could use ML and AI to find new ways of doing things, but at the same time, it's like you know AI versus AI in that sense. The same thing in cybersecurity. Okay, all right. And uh, one final question, Anishin. You, you and I, you and I probably could go on for about an hour, but I'm sure you have more important things to do instead of just ramble on <laughs> on a podcast with me. <laughs> but um, obviously, you are. I mean. The conversation is definitely fascinating me, but what what are you reading? What what's on your nightstand? What are you reading these days? Oh, okay. I have over here with me. Uh, okay, this is uh, game theory, the art of strategy. The art of strategy. Okay. okay. I've been asked right. and then I have uh, one on mental models. Uh, hmm, the model thinker. So okay. Scott Page. Yeah, Scott Page. And uh, there is one called Code. I have code, it somewhere okay. here. So that's this code, the code, like uh, Charles Petzold. It kind of describes at a generic level for people how hardware mm-hmm. really works. So that's just... Okay. 
This is the physical books I have with me. Well, uh, I'll, I'll definitely have to check those out. And I am hoping that the Gumbo listeners will also have an opportunity to check those out as well. And in, any any fine, final uh, shout outs or anything that you would like to share about Panther Protocol? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So we are currently in the test net. So we will be going to mainnet. We will greatly appreciate everybody who's interested to you know, check out whatever we have deployed so far and we'll be continuing to deploy. So as we continue to deploy on the testnet, uh, I, I would appreciate giving us feedback, especially to the team, so that we could actually, you know, it, that, I always say like, you, know, you can put in a lot of effort into getting things done, but you know, putting effort doesn't result into translate into things actually happening. So yeah, and is that is that on your website? Is that Panther dot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Panther Protocol. Yeah, yeah. Panther Protocol Okay, Panther Protocol So, please check yeah. out that website. And also, before I let everyone go, um, also please check out the Data Protection Gumbo uh, LinkedIn group that we have. It's called Backup and Recovery Professionals, and there are over twenty five thousand professionals. Uh, ranging in cybersecurity, storage, backup, and recovery. And we have similar conversations uh, on that particular LinkedIn group every day. So please go check it out. And also feel free to write us a a comment on uh, Apple as well. So Apple Podcasts, leave us a a review there as well. Uh, Anish, it was definitely a pleasure having you on. And we really appreciate your insight on data protection gumbo.